0: Um, I can't remember if I told you, but my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new. I don't know if you knew this or not, but most people in America believe that uh, when you die, your soul goes to live in heaven. Uh, and yet, in the, in, the, in the greater part of the rest of the world, they believe that when you die, your soul kind of returns in some other form. But in spite of those differences, uh, they all agree on one thing, and that is that where you end up is based on your goodness. You know, uh, the premise is that there are uh, that, that to be good, you have to do certain things, and then not do other certain things, and that kind of creates your goodness. Uh, the logic follows like this: that there's um, there's a good place and a bad place, that uh, there are spots reserved in the good place for the good people, and that it's on us to be good enough to make it into the good place you know in America uh, we say things like that uh, say things like this reflecting that philosophy we say well you know uh, I'm not a bad person I try to do the right thing I, I, I lived a good life I haven't killed anybody I'm not a Raider fan these are the things that we say to describe our goodness sorry if you're a Raider fan but um, that was just a joke but is that true? Is it true that we get our spot in heaven based on our own goodness? Well, if you're just joining us here at Sunridge, we're in the middle of a series we've titled Lies We Believe, and we've been kind of looking at things that uh that are accepted beliefs and and trying to sort out whether they're true or not and so i want to tell you like a shameless plug for next week uh the lie or what i think is a lie we're going to address is uh that evolution proves there's no god so if you're a christian and you kind of shaking in your boots on evolution and it's starting to rob you of your faith because you think if there's evolution then my faith is gone Uh, you need to be here and if uh, if you left the faith or you're on the margin of faith or you haven't stepped across the line of faith because you think that evolution disputes everything I want you to come back because I think you left or you're uh, staying on the periphery unnecessarily and I don't think that if you're a Christian you need to be afraid of the truth so come back but today we're going to be talking about this lie that good people go to heaven And as we've been saying throughout this whole series, the best way to refute a lie is with the truth. And so we're echoing uh, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to put the verse up here. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Basically, Paul says there are accepted truths that are not true, and and the way that we refute that or expose it is by the teachings and life of Jesus Christ. And when you bring them together, you can sort out what's true and what isn't. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we jump into Scripture and, and our notes, uh, you'll see that I have a ladder here. And this ladder, I want to represent kind of our goodness factor. There are layers to our goodness. And so I want you to walk through this logical process with me, okay? So um, can we all agree that God would be at the top of the goodness ladder, right? Can we get there? We are in church, so we have to say that. But plus, remember, it's God's heaven. So he gets to write the rules. So he's at the top of that. And now, there's, let's go down to the bottom. There's someone else or something else, and that would be Satan. The epitome of evil, and can we not agree that Satan would be at the very bottom of this ladder of goodness. Everyone with me still? Okay, I haven't, I haven't lost yet. So what's missing, though, between God and Satan are people. So where do people fall in? So let's start at the bottom of the goodness factor, and let's think about, like, the, the most evil, the worst people that have ever, you know, existed, like, Um, child molesters and rapists and murderers and telemarketers Um, so uh, but we could actually put some names to evil uh, uh, like Hitler we would put that uh, Osama bin Laden and then uh, the KKK or today's modern version the alt-right would we not say that these are some of the lowest and the, the worst of humanity so we're going to put them down here at the bottom so speaking of the lowest of low and the worst of humanity where would you put your ex <laughs> so that's a little shot at humor we'll, we'll put them down there assuming your ex is like everybody else's ex okay so we'll just leave them down there kind of close to satan and <laughs> hitler Okay, so, um, but what about the other end of the chart? Like, the, the, the most moral and good and purest people in our, in our day and time, like in our generation, maybe not living today, but, um, you know, who would you say? Like, the most, Mother, Mother, Teresa. Mother Teresa, I just happen to have that card. Did, you, <laughs> did I flash that or something? So, certainly we would say that Mother Teresa is um, up at the top here. Don't look at my answers. So, uh, another name? So, uh, you know, what's funny is that uh, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, neither one of them would put themselves near the top, right? And if they were in a discussion between themselves, they would, they would definitely defer to the other. But in order to avoid an unnecessary conflict of interest, depending on your tradition of faith, I'm going to put them equal, Okay. So if you're a Protestant or, you know, you come from a Catholic tradition, we'll put them level, okay? We can all agree with that. So um, uh, where would you put you? Maybe you need a little more information, like um, where would you put Brit on this goodness chart? So um, before I put myself up there, I want to remind you that um, (laughs) I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I love my wife. I love my kids. Um, uh, I used to be a fireman and became a pastor. So, like, think of that. Think of the, like, the compound interest of goodness you get out of that. Fireman to pastor. Um, I I don't steal. Uh, I don't uh, lie unless I have to. And I do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't cuss that much. So, and by the way, did I mention I was a fireman? So I'm going to put myself um, somewhere in the middle here. (laughs) Somebody knows me. So what about you? Where would you put you? So... um, If you don't mind, I know that we could be, we could differ on this, but I'm just going to put you just a little lower than me, (laughs) if that's okay. Because I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but I was a fireman. (laughs) So that should be worth something. So the next question, though, you know, I don't know where you'd put yourself on the the ladder here, but... um, Where would you put the line as to who goes to heaven? That's the hard part, isn't it? I wonder if when you place the line, if you would say, the line's above you. That I don't think I'm going to make it. Or would you put the line below you because you say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to make it. And where you place a line, would you do it on the basis of your goodness? That's what I want to talk about today. Do people go to heaven because of their goodness? And there are three lies that we're going to address today and some associated truths that go with it. Okay? Okay, so there are three lies that kind of are a part of the package of good people go to heaven. Lie number one, I'm pretty good, and my goodness will be enough. I'm pretty good, and my goodness will be enough. And likely, if you uh, accept this lie, then you probably place yourself rather high on the chart, assuming that your goodness is going to get you there. But here's the question. How How does goodness get graded? You know, last week I talked about, like, uh, car insurance and how you just got to, you know, if you get in an accident, you just got to get the 51% of not your fault, and then the other insurance has to pay. Is, is that how it works? We just got to maintain that 51% goodness compared to 49 bad, and uh, that gets us in. And just make sure that when you die, you're at 51 or above, because you don't want to be caught at, like, 47% when you get in that car accident. Or may, maybe, you know, the scale of goodness is kind of like our grading system in, in America. In our educational system, there's, you know, like if you're in the 90 percentile, you're basically an A, you, you get it, you know, and, you know, C's our degrees. So, like, you can just be a middle swimmer and get in. Or maybe, maybe it's even better than that, God grades on a curve. And because certainly temptation is greater now, it's much harder to live as a Christian. So living today in a grading system, it's sort of like we're in advanced placement classes. And so even if you got a 50%, it's really like a 70% in overall of humanity. So you're trusting in that curve to get you there. See, the idea of goodness and how we measure it could be deceptive. It could be based on our own perceptions, which may or may not be accurate. For instance, in an audience like this today, if we named politicians, if we said Trump, Hillary, or Bernie, we all have different opinions about who is good among them and who is not. So based on our perceptions and our experiences. And then how do we even get over our own perspective of ourselves that may or may not be accurate? We could, people see things people have a a perception of us that we may not share. People could see us entirely differently than we see ourselves. See, if we rely on this goodness ladder, then it's going to lead us to something that isn't true. The truth is, none of us are okay. And here's two truths that I think we'll corroborate that. First of all, truth one, no one is so good that they can stand before God based on their own righteousness. No one is so good that they can stand before God based on their own righteousness. Remember, our comparison here is not with other human beings. It's with God. Paul writes in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's there's no human being in here that doesn't fall short Of God's perfection. You might be closer, but you're still short. And remember, we're not talking about being a mistaker here. We're talking about being a sinner. See, if we're just mistakers, then all we have to do is, you know, improve a bit. uh, You know, tighten it up. Do the tighten up. Or buck up. Work harder. And then we can get our goodness factor up. But the reality is we're not mistakers, we're sinners. We all cast our faith aside when it's not working for us. We'll pursue what we want, even if God prohibits it. We have all profaned God's name. We skip church whenever we want. We ignored our parents and told them off. We've all sought revenge on others, even taken opportunity to cause them harm, even if it was just by words or innuendo. We all lust. We've all taken things that aren't ours, even if it's just a Sunridge Bible or a pen. We all lie, and we've envied and been jealous of someone better off than us. I just listed the Ten Commandments to you. How did you do? Did you violate any of them? Because James says in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking all of it. By God's standard, we have not hit the mark. No one is so good that they can stand before God based on their own righteousness. Truth number two, Jesus told the most upright people of the day that their goodness wasn't good enough. Jesus told the most upright people of the day that their goodness wasn't good enough. In your New Testament, you find this word Pharisee, and, at the, and the, they are the religious leaders, and we, we kind of talk about them derisively, um, you know, in their self-righteousness, but in their day, they were considered the best of the best. They were honored. They were revered. They were looked up to. They were successful. And they were so good that they could brag about it publicly and nobody ever said anything back. Jesus tells a story about a Pharisee who was standing, praying publicly, and he said, God, thank you that I am not like these other people around me. And no one challenged him. But to that end, Jesus said, even the best are not good enough. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So if the people whose job it was to be good were good and their good wasn't good enough, where does that leave us? In deep weeds. Again, Paul wrote in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Line number two. I'm so far from God, he could never accept me. I'm so far from God, he could never accept accept me. If you're vulnerable to this lie, likely you placed yourself really low on the ladder. And right now you're saying, thank you, Britt, for helping me be so encouraged at church today. But I have good news. Truth one, Jesus said he came to save sinners. Jesus said he came to save sinners. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came to seek and to save what was lost that which is far from god jesus came to save them he also said that the truth is that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life and he also said that it's not the well who need a physician but the sick and he was describing why he had come then the apostle paul writes to timothy in 1 timothy 1:15 Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners. And I love how Paul puts it here. He says, this is worthy of full acceptance. So if you're a person who thinks that you're so far from God, that that he could never accept you, let that one soak in. It deserves full acceptance. Let it it just drop on you. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Uh, Romans 5.8, Paul writes, uh, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Christianity is the only religion that doesn't require you to clean up your act before you join it. Jesus came to save sinners. Truth two, Jesus never taught that people should get what they deserve. Jesus never taught that people should get what they deserve. In Luke 15, 7, he says, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So first of all, you should observe that there is a lot of parties in heaven. But you should also observe that the loudest, biggest parties are over one sinner who repents. And by the way, the first person to enter heaven with Jesus was a thief. Jesus never taught that people should get what they deserve. And the truth is, you're never so far from God that his love cannot reach you. In fact, the most known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Doesn't matter. God loved the world, and you're part of the world, and he gave his son, Jesus, for you. You know, some people say, well, the, you know, the reason why I don't become a Christian is there's they're they're so many hypocrites yeah, there are. That's not a point. That is the point. Christians are not perfect. But we are forgiven. And our relationship with God is not based on whether we can step it up to the level of those that were around, that are around us. Last lie, lie number three. Jesus saves means you can stay as you are. Jesus saves means you can stay as you are. See, a message like this could give you the wrong impression, and I don't want to do that. I'm not saying that the way we live doesn't matter, that our choices have no consequence, that all you need to do is get your ticket to ride and you won't need to care. That's not what I'm saying, and I don't think the Bible teaches that. In fact, Again, the apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The way Paul describes becoming a, a Christian is that when that happens, you become something new. You are an entirely new creation. Your old life, the old you, is gone. Whatever your identity was before, it's not your identity anymore. You're a brand new creation. In 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 theology circles, we call this a positional truth. That when, um, when we give our life to Christ and become a Christian... God makes us, makes us righteous on the inside. He makes us perfect. He makes us holy. He makes us completely like his son Jesus. And that's who he sees when he looks at us. But we spend the rest of our lives making that spiritual reality an actual reality. So in becoming a Christian, it isn't that we just stay like we are and we're in we pursue becoming like Christ. Here's a couple of truths that go with this lie. First of all, you're called to be a saint. Our calling is to be a saint. And a calling means like there's, there's something upon you. To become a Christian, God calls us toward him. His Holy Spirit nudges us, convicts us of our sin, makes us see the, uh, how bankrupt we are spiritually and calls us toward him. But, and when that happens, when God gives us the free gift of salvation, the Bible no longer calls you a sinner. It refers to you as a saint. That's why when the Apostle Paul addresses Christians, he says, greet the saints, the holy ones. He doesn't say, greet the sinners at Corinth. Greet the saints. And then when he even when he packages all the churches together, not just like individual churches, like in 2nd Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 14, it refers to all the churches in that region as the congregations of the saints. Now, I don't know what your image of a saint is. For, for some people, it's like a person who wears a robe and walks around, you know, very holy-like, or maybe it's a figurine on your, on your dashboard in your car. But a saint, it just really, it, it literally means a called-out one, a holy one. You've been set apart. And when we place our faith in Christ, that's what happens. God sets us aside as his child. That's an internal reality. In fact, you know, um, in in the early church, it was common practice for people when they became a Christian to change their name as kind of like my identity changed. It was that visceral to them. We've been reading a lot of verses by the Apostle Paul. You know, his name before was Saul. And he changed his name to Paul. Uh, you, you've heard of Simon Peter. He, you know, he was known as Simon. And when, when he, he has this encounter with Christ and confesses him, he says, I'm going to, your name now is Peter. Maybe we should bring that practice back, change our names. In some ways, baptism is like that. When we're baptized, it's like, there's just like this, physical thing that represents the change that's happened on the inside. But as we move forward in our faith, as we grow in our faith, we're moving toward becoming like Christ and taking that spiritual reality and making it an actual reality. In Romans 1, 7, Paul writes to all the Christians in Rome, and he says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called, and I love how he says this, to be saints call the saint. I've called you out of the kingdom of darkness into one of light, but you need to be a saint as well. Some of us are sitting around waiting for it to magically happen, you know, that God's going to do some miracle and all of a sudden you're just going to be holy. Uh, Some of us are hoping that it will happen through my awesome sermons Uh, some of you think it'll happen through prayer or you declare it over and over again and you read it in the you know looking at yourself in the mirror but really spiritual growth is tied to how we train as a Christian this is the other truth spiritual growth is directly related to spiritual training spiritual growth is directly related to spiritual training I'm going to illustrate that in a minute but um Think about this, who, in the last hundred years, who has been the greatest athlete in sports? I don't, I don't know how, how you would answer that, but I would say Bo Jackson. Some of you are like, I don't know Bo. <laughs> but do you know that Bo Jackson was the first player to, to be an all-star in two major league sports, football and baseball. And Jackson reached his level of performance, not just because he had incredible DNA. In my athletic career, if I could return, I would pick different parents to give me better DNA. Uh, Bigger, faster, stronger. Um, It wasn't just because he tried hard, but he took all of that and put it together and he trained well. Bo Jackson trained. He practiced. He ate right. He listened to his coaches. He worked out. He went over and over and over the fundamentals. And then when game time came, he just, like, let it fly. And he was amazing. If you don't even know who I'm talking about, just YouTube Bo Jackson. The guy that strikes out and breaks the bat across his back like this like as a twig, the guy that catches a ball in the outfield and runs up sideways on the wall, running on the the wall. The guy that blew up the best, toughest linebacker, Brian Bosworth, of the day and just lit him up in a goal line uh, tackle, blew him into pieces. Bo Jackson. You know... That's kind of what it's like becoming a Christian. When you become a Christian, uh, you get your name on the locker. It might be with the Kansas City Royals. It might be with the L.A. Raiders. but, But your name's there. You're on the team. You have your place. And you have all the tools to succeed. Amazing spiritual DNA. And you will be able to forever say, I'm on the team and I have a locker and I belong. But if you don't train, you'll never achieve what God's will is for you. You'll just kind of always undershoot. Let me show you this in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 9 24, Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize and he, he's, he's kind of using an illustration from that time of the, the Olympics of that day and he says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever Paul says you're on the team you're entered in the event but if you want to succeed if you want to transform yourself into becoming more and more like the spiritual reality that you have inside you that Jesus Christ lives within you then you're going to have to train which means doing all the things the Bible says that helps you grow and become become more like Christ like being regular, regularly being in the scripture, being in Bible study, being in community with other Christians and allowing them to speak into your life, letting them help you grow, encourage you, inspire you, being part, being regular in your church and and coming in and worshiping God and allowing the teaching of the Bible to infuse you and to help you take that next step. These are all things that the Bible says are part of spiritual training. If we don't train, we'll have all the right DNA, we'll have all the right tools, and we'll be on the team but we will never be at the level God wants us to be at. If you're if if your spiritual life feels stuck right now, if you, you know if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're trying to be a better parent, if you're uh, if you're wanting to if you like have this besetting sin and you're trying to overcome it, it's like honestly, God has given you all the tools, but you need to invest in spiritual training. Are you exercising your faith, or are you just taking it all in? Is there any outflow? Is there? Are you taking all the nutrition? And uh, the things that God does to fill your spirit up and strengthen you. And is it coming out in any way? Are you touching other people? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you serving God in some capacity? Or are you just like, are you just content being on the team? That's not the way God has designed us to be. He, He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. So, do good people go to heaven? Is, the, is, is our entrance into heaven based on our goodness? There's a statement, there's no fill in the blank, but at the bottom of your note sheet that says that if uh, something like this, that if we go to heaven based on our own goodness, then Jesus died in vain. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did God come down, inhabit a human body, serve humanity, allow himself to be crucified and his blood shed and his body broken, and then say, and you better be good too. It doesn't even make logical sense. And when you really think about it, if I'm trusting in my goodness, I am really trampling on the sacrifice that Jesus made. Accept it. Look, if you, if, you, uh, if you think you're good enough without Christ, can I remind you that one of the Pharisees came to Jesus by cover of night named Nicodemus. He was one of the good, one of the best. And when Jesus talked to him, he said, you know, even you, Nicodemus, need to be born again. If you struggle with being at the lower part of the ladder and you think that there's no way that God can accept me, for the life of me, maybe you could help me, but I can't think of one sinner that came to Jesus and Jesus turned him away and said, no, you're above the line. I can't, I can't redeem that. People came to Jesus who, think some of them got in his inner circle. There was an embezzler. There was a person who ripped off his, uh, his own countrymen. Uh, There were coarse fishermen. There were doubters. There was at least one prostitute. And they they worked alongside Jesus. I can't think of one sinner that came to Jesus and got turned away. He came to save sinners. I don't know where you are if you think that, you know, your struggle is, you know, I I still got to maintain that performance in order for God to accept me or you think that you're so low that he can't, I can tell you that we all need Jesus all of us need Jesus no matter where we're coming from in a moment I'm going to pray and I just want to, if you have never crossed that line of faith, you've never just reached out to God in faith and said God come into my life I'm too bad or I just keep trying to be so good for you to accept me If you've never just asked Christ to save you, I want you to do that. And if you do it, tell somebody. If you've done it recently, tell somebody. Put it on the in-touch card. Let us know. Not so that we can put a notch in our Bible or so that we can bug you, but we have resources to give you. Your friends probably have resources that can help you spiritually train and become more and more like Jesus as long as you have time here on this planet. There is nobody so far from God that God's love cannot reach them, and there's nobody so good that they do not need the redeeming atonement and love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.